Good day, everyone. Welcome to the CSU Relentless Gardener podcast. I am Colorado State University Extension Horticultural Specialist Linda Langelo, and joining me today is Grace Johnson of Chatfield Gardens. She is Assistant Manager of Horticulture. Now let's get to the heart of it, where we explore the horticultural topic of Chatfield Gardens. Hello, Grace. How are you? Hi, Linda. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. Glad you could join me this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tell the listening audience, what is Chatfield about? Yes, so Chatfield Farms is a satellite location of Denver Botanic Gardens. So we are located southwest of the main gardens in Littleton, and we are about 700 acres of natural areas, restorative agriculture, as well as ornamental horticulture. Um, so we are a much bigger site than the gardens downtown, and we have a lot more going on in terms of um, restoration, uh, agriculture, and then we have um, a lot of different gardens as well. It's a nice mix of agriculture as well as horticulture um, and just some natural areas as well. Wonderful. So what do you personally oversee at Chatfield? Yeah, so I've been at Chatfield for six years now, um, and I started as just a, a horticulturist and taking care of gardens, and I've since moved up to helping manage our horticulture team. So I'm currently the assistant manager of horticulture at Chatfield Farms, so I still do quite a lot of hands-on gardening. Um, I maintain the prairie gardens around our cinnamon center. I maintain our unirrigated cactus collection, our plant select demonstration garden, and then I also help maintain our iris collection, which is a historic collection of 400 different varieties of iris. Um, and then at the same time, I, I do a lot of work with plant select on the plant select committee, which is another nonprofit that we, um, we partner with. And I also help manage our HORT team, um, which is comprised of about eight people, um, usually with a few seasonal gardeners uh, over the summer as well. Well, that keeps you very busy, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, unfortunately, there's never enough time um, to accomplish everything. So a big part of my job is just prioritizing um, you know, I can't handle everything. Our team's pretty small, so we get done what we can. And so figuring out, you know, what to prioritize and what to maybe put on the back burner for later is a huge part of my job as well as everyone else on my team. And, um, you know, anytime we have a, a seasonal gardener start or um, a new horticulturist start, I think that can be one of the most overwhelming things for them is, you know, what do I, what do I do first? Um, and so you just kind of have to get the hang of it and kind of roll with the punches per se. Yeah. I've, I've had a, uh, been a manager and in, uh, in as a horticulture in the university and uh, at Turning Stone Casino and Resort, when you get those summer interns, mm -hmm. I think that that is the most challenging and, you know, they know some things, but they don't know a lot, and they're just green, so to speak. Yes. And uh, and so you can't just say, go weed this area, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, I think having a seasonal gardener job is a great way to get your foot in the door and to learn a lot in a, in a summer. And I think it's just, at least for us, it's jam packed with learning and um, getting a lot of experience. So um, it's a great way for people to find out if horticulture is really what they want to do. Um, and then also just kind of figuring out like what it's all about um, and what it takes to to work in the horticulture field. Yeah, absolutely. So for uh, the prairie gardens, when would you recommend that people come and see that? You know, the prairie is so dynamic and changes throughout the season. That's one of the reasons why I really love working in that garden. Um, my favorite time of year to see the prairie is June. Um, that's really when things are starting to get tall. There's a lot of different plants that are flowering. Um, and anywhere earlier than June, I feel like the prairie is still waking up. It's very slow to wake up. Um, so usually April, I've got a good amount of bulbs um, in the prairie that you can see. But April and early May, things are still really small. Um, the perennials are are slow to wake up and um, with good reason. We've gotten lots of snow in April and, and May. So things just are kind of getting started during that time. So June is really when the plants start to take off. So that's my favorite time in the prairie um, because things are still fresh. Um, but I also love the prairie in the fall. So September is gorgeous and it's just a different feel. You know, you've got your fall bloomers, but then you also have a lot of spent flowers that add a lot of texture um, and um, a lot of different interesting uh, forms in the garden and the grasses are really taking off at that time. So um, that those are kind of my two favorite times uh, to see the prairie. I think it'd be a great way for people, whether they're they've lived here or they're visiting, to really experience what the prairie is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and the gardens, I, um, they're very much simulated prairie gardens. Um, you know, I have different beds. Some are tall grass prairie. Some are, um, we have a rain garden. We have um, a dry prairie area. So it's not exactly you know, the prairie that you're going to see in eastern Colorado where it's short grass, it's a lot more ornamental and what I like to say, a, a dream prairie. Like if I could take all the prairie plants from the Midwest, the short grass, um, the tall grass and put them, slam them all together. That's kind of what we have going around uh, the cinnamon center. But then we do have some actual restoration prairies where we have done um uh, we've we've burned, we've eliminated weeds, and then added uh, some seed. And so we do have some actual more true Colorado prairies elsewhere on the property. Um, so yeah, that's I always call it my dream prairie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good name, but yeah, you know, it's still you're still adding diversity. So you yes. know, that's still good for people to see and observe and learn. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, I, I'm all about using native plants, um, especially regionally native plants. But there are some plants from, you know, the Midwest that can do really well here. And so it's just a great way to showcase different prairie plants, especially a lot of the, the 
bigger, um, dramatic plants of the tall grass prairie. Right, right. So what kind of bulbs? You said you use bulbs in the prairie garden. What kind of bulbs do you use? So this is where uh, I cheat a little bit. So all of the plants in our prairie gardens around the Cinnamon Center are native to the continental U.S., except for the bulbs. So because the prairie is so slow to wake up and get going, I do have crocus, I have some daffodils, um, I have um, some, I'm trying to think what else I have in there, um, some glory of the snow, but then we do have native bulbs, bulbs such as camassias, so the native hyacinth. Um, so that's like the one spot where I get away with using some non-native plants um, is just to have some bulbs, especially when we're having weddings and stuff on the property, just to add some color. Um, but everything else in there is is uh, native to the U.S. Cool. So tell me about your historic iris collection. Huh? That would be a favorite of mine. Yeah, so um, we received that collection from a couple in Washington State, uh, the land cows. They were um, avid iris hybridizers, iris collectors. They went to iris shows and, and judged iris. Um, and when they both fell into poor health, the, a call went out to the community. Hey, we have all these historic iris um, all these beautiful hybrids, would anyone be willing to come and rescue them? So um, I believe it was in 2014, some, some um, employees of Denver Botanic Gardens went to Washington State and uh, participated in a dig where they dug um, tons of different um, iris rhizomes, brought them back, and um, Chatfield was just the location where there was enough space to house them all as opposed to the location at York Street. So we inherited four different, 400 different varieties of iris. And um, they are everything from iris dalmatica, which is a very simple um, old fashioned type of iris where they used to make perfumes and gin. And um, it's very fragrant, but the, the flowers are very small and simple. So we have everything from that to cultivars that are big and frilly and rainbow and sparkly. Um, so it's really cool to see end of May, early June. That's usually our bloom period. Um, so we get a lot of people who come down to see all the iris in bloom. And uh, a lot of people from the Botanical School of Illustration who come out to, um, to do some drawing. Um, so it's a really beautiful garden during that time. And then the rest of the year, it's just little green swords the ground pretty boring <laughs> but well, they put on quite a show during that time of year so does Chatville do any more hybridizing or you're just simply growing those on you know we're for the most part we're just keeping the collection alive um showcasing them and we do have a separate propagation team and if if they have the time, I think that's something that they might jump into, but um, just like the rest of us on the horticulture team, time is limited, uh, the to-do list is long. So as of right now, we're just maintaining the collection, keeping keeping it going and, and honoring the, the Lane Cow family. 
Wow, that's amazing. I can't imagine when you have to divide those. <laughs> yes, yes. So that is always uh, quite a feat. We usually um, request a large volunteer group. So we have a volunteer services team and we'll put a call out and say, hey, um, we need probably 20 people to come help us divide our and your payment is you get to take some iris home with you. So there's a lot of divisions that we don't have the room for. And um, luckily, the volunteers get to take some home with them. The best time to divide iris is right when they finish blooming. But because that's in June and we are so swamped with everything else, we do tend to divide in August. Um, but they usually do fine. Um, it's a little hot for them at that point. But we have had success doing it in August and we just have more time, more availability to do so. Um, but we split the collection into thirds. And so we'll just divide one section once every three years, um, just because trying to divide that many at one time, things get kind of muddled. Um, it's, there's a risk of mixing them up and not putting them back in the in the correct place. So. Um, dividing it into thirds has made it a lot more manageable. Wow. Well, if you ever need any extra help, I can broadcast that for you. I'm sure you get enough volunteers. But... Yeah, they, they're pretty incentivized by the free plants, which I don't blame them. I, I'm the same way. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are what are some of your more favorite projects? Um, you know, my, my first full season at Chatfield was 2018. And that was when we installed the expansion of our lavender collection. So when I um, first came on in 2017, we had 800 uh, lavender plants. And we have a uh, lavender festival every July. And one of the comments that we got from a lot of our visitors was, this is it, this is all your lavender. So 800 plants wasn't enough. So we built by hand in-house, no contractors that helped us. We expanded the collection with 1200 more plants. So now we have 2000 lavender plants and with a perennial border, a xeric plant, plant perennial border surrounding the lavender because the lavender does wanna be a little more hot and dry with good drainage um, and when the lavender is not in bloom, we wanted to have a, a perennial border with some other plants to look at. And so that was a backbreaking but very fun project. It was great team building for us. Um, and I just remember bringing the soil in, raking up all the rows, planting all the lavender. And uh, right when we finished planting the lavender, it actually snowed, <laughs> so it watered them in for us, <laughs> and um, so every time I look at that big expansion at the new, we call it our new field, um, I just think back to that, and that was that was a really fun project, uh, a big project, and it just felt really good once we got it, once we got it done, you know, it was very rewarding. Um, so now we have 2000 lavender plants. Um, I still think sometimes we hear, is this all the lavender? <laughs> and I'm like, 2000 is still a lot. 
Um, <laughs> ask them to come and plant them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, lavender for us, Chatfield Farms, when you come, if you ever come visit us, you'll notice we're kind of down in a valley. So we have like a bit of a frost pocket is what we call it sometimes. And we get a lot of winter winds that whip through. And so it can be very hard on on the lavender. Um, we're finding that the English lavender is the way to go for us. The French lavender has not been hardy enough for us. Um, and, you know, we're finding the English lavender lives for around five years before it starts to get a little funky and, you know, dies back halfway or, um, just isn't looking great. So we plan ahead for that with um, trying to get propagation going to replace five-year plants. Um, so having 2,000 lavender plants is a feat for us, considering, you know, it, it being a little borderline hardy, especially this past winter that we had. Um, that was really rough on them. And the really cold, um, wet spring, they did not like that. They want hot, dry, good drainage. Um, so it can be tough where we're at growing lavender plants. So 2000 lavender plants is, uh, is a accomplishment, I think. Um, so that was one of my favorite projects. And then this past June, we also installed an unirrigated cactus collection. So Dan Johnson from the York Street location of Denver Botanic Gardens, he maintains the Water Smart Avenue. He built the Nexus Berm, which is uh, very cactus heavy. And um, they brought some cactus down for us, mostly Apuntias, as well as some, um, some Choyas, and brought them down. And he and I constructed an unirrigated cactus collection. And um, it's mostly a punches, um, choyas, and then I have included some companion plants, a lot of which are from the plant select program. And um, we installed that last June and it's doing really well. Um, one thing was when we installed all the cactus, uh, it could not be watered. So whenever you install cactus, watering them can kill them. Um, and so, all the companion plants I had to water by hand about three times a week for, I, I did it for about three weeks just to make sure they got established and uh, were getting going, especially in June where it was getting getting hot. Um, but now it's completely unirrigated, which is great for me because there's less weed pressure. Um, I don't have to mess with any irrigation, which is one of my least favorite parts of horticulture. Um, and it looks great. So it's, it's been really fun. Um, it's only been in the ground for, you know, a, a season, but it's starting to mature and the cactus are starting to bloom, um, which is really fun. So those are kind of the two projects that stand out for me that um, I've really enjoyed. That's fascinating. That's something to see. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think sometimes when people come to Colorado, maybe cactus isn't the first thing they think of um, when it comes to like a Colorado plant, but there are so many beautiful different uh, Opuntia hybrids and um, they're all different and unique. Some are spineless, some are very spiny, um, some have like multicolor flowers. So it's just, it's just really cool. And I think it can kind of push the boundaries of what people think as a Colorado garden. Right, right. So 
tell the listening audience a little bit about what you do as far as uh, Plant Select being on a part of that. Yeah, so Plant Select is a nonprofit partnership between Denver Botanic Gardens, CSU, and propagators. And the whole goal is to get plants from the, um, to promote plants that are going to be hardy, beautiful, easy to work with in the Intermountain West. So, you know, it's it's difficult to grow plants here. We've got quite an extreme climate. Um, so it's just trying to get good plants in the hands of consumers. And so what I do when it comes to plant select, I'm on the plant select committee. Um, and then I also maintain the demonstration garden at Chatfield. So we have a trial garden at Chatfield, which is not open to the public. It's located near our greenhouse facilities. And then we also have the plant select demonstration garden, which is what I take care of. That is um, open to the public. You can explore that and it's to really showcase a lot of different plant select plants. But what I also do is I will trial plants in the demonstration garden um, because our trial garden is a much different, uh, has a much different makeup than my garden. So the soil is a lot different than what's, uh, than what my garden has. And then um, they're irrigating differently than I am as well. So the demonstration garden that I take care of has a mix of sandy loam as well as um, there are a few pockets of heavy clay, whereas the trial garden has a lot of compacted clay soils. So there's definitely a difference in how the plants grow between my garden and the, the trial garden. Um, and also it's, it's just a way to get plants in front of the public. And if they start to draw a lot of attention, I will report back to the plant select committee, like, hey, you know, this plant's drawing a lot of interest, it's getting a lot of attention. Um, I think maybe we should take a look at it. Um, so that's that's one thing I do for plant select. The other thing I'm doing for plant select, I do a lot of marketing. So if you sign up for the plant select newsletter through their website, um, you will receive a monthly newsletter that has a lot of information on plants, but then there would be also a link to um, educational videos. And I've been doing a video once a month for Plant Select, and most of them are, you know, about three to four minutes long. They're just quick YouTube videos where I either showcase plants or I teach you how to bear root uh, plants or um, the ways that I like to cut back grasses, the ways I like to deadhead perennials. Um, so um, I do that. And even if you don't wanna sign up for the Plant Select newsletter, if you just type in Plant Select to YouTube, those videos should come up as well. Um, so I'm doing, those are kind of the two major things I'm doing for Plant Select at this time. Very helpful, that's very helpful. Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, and I'm always uh, I, I'm always asking people, you know, what else do you want to see? Because I can talk about plants and specific plants all day long and, you know, show videos. But are there certain techniques that people are interested in? Um, what kind of information do people find most helpful? So I'm always taking recommendations on that. Yeah, that's very helpful in, in general, you know. Mm -hmm. So tell people, what are some of the events that they should come and see now at Chatfield? 
Ooh, this time of year, things are really winding down for our site. We do have holiday lights uh, during this time of year. So the week of Thanksgiving is when our light show at Chatfield Farms will begin. Um, and it should run through until the new year. So that's kind of our next big event. That's our next big push. And then after that, we're pretty low-key kind of um, up until we get to springtime. So um, we do have our annual Lavender Festival, which is in July every year. That's a great time. Um, we have craft vendors, we have food, we have drinks, music. Um, you can come tour the gardens. We do garden tours, we do farm tours. Um, so you can see um, the property during a really pretty time of year in July. It is very hot, so I do suggest coming early <laughs> if you're coming to the Lavender Festival, but it's a two-day festival that draws usually around 11,000 people over those two days, so um, it's a really good time. It's really fun, and then in October, we just got finished with our pumpkin festival and our corn maze, so Pumpkin Festival is just a three-day festival. It's typically the first weekend of October. And we have a pumpkin patch. We have a corn maze, food, uh, carnival games. Um, and that actually this past year drew 40,000 people over three days. So it's a big event. Um, it's a, a lot of work from our staff, a lot of preparation for that. But then the corn maze goes from September until Halloween. So corn maze is a separate event um, and it's Friday through Sunday um, during that time frame. And again, lots of food and uh, a big nine acre corn maze uh, that the kids really like. And there's even a mini maze for the younger kids because the, the large corn maze does take a while. Um, so that's kind of our, our real big events that we're having um that are really they're all family friendly and um you have access to the entire property while you're there so even if you just do the corn maze and then you want to walk around the gardens that you can totally do that oh that's wonderful well yeah. thank you thank you for joining me of course yeah i i appreciate the invite it was, it was fun not a problem not a problem i should have you back sometime during the year we can talk about another topic absolutely some, yeah just some, let me know some new project or some plant that you think people need to know about love to have you that'd be great a thank you to the listening audience and tune in next time when we get to the heart of the matter of another horticultural topic 